Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. Hello, Frugalistas, and welcome. Today I have a very special guest, and of course, all of my guests are special. But today we're going to be talking about something that is really close to my heart and something that I have a lived experience of, and that is anxiety. But first, I'd really like to ask a favor from you. I love producing the Joyful Frugalista podcast so much, and if you love listening to it as much as I do recording it, I would really like you to follow the podcast, and in fact, tell all your friends to follow the podcast as well. Really, if something resonates for you, share it with your friends and leave a comment, and that would be fabulous. Today, I am interviewing Dr. Jody Loewinger, who is a world-leading expert in anxiety, mindset, and resilience. She is an award-winning clinical psychologist, high-performance and mindset coach to CEOs, and she has worked and trained at Harvard Medical School. So you can see she's pretty fabulous. And not only that, she is also the best-selling author of The Mind Strength Method, Four Steps to Curb Anxiety, Conquer Worry, and Build Resilience. Welcome, Dr. Jody. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here chatting with you today. Thank you. Obvious question, do you ever get anxious yourself? Absolutely, of course. Uh, well, anxiety is a human condition. It's part of all of us and it keeps us safe when we need it. So yes, indeed I do. And I know you know this, but I was actually getting quite anxious as we were recording this podcast. Not because I was scared of you per se, just to be clear, Dr. Jodie is not scary at all. She's lovely. (laughs) But I had one of those nights where as a parent, everything you planned just doesn't go to schedule. I planned a quiet space where I do this podcast and suddenly I ended up with all my kids and extended family and dinner cooking and everything happening all at once and some technological failures as well to throw it into the mix. Yes, absolutely. And this is life, right? And and what happens is people who care can uh, sort of be thrown in this whirlwind of uncertainty around what does that mean? What are people going to think? All of these sorts of things. <laughs> exactly. Because you care, right? Exactly. Because, you know, I'm talking to this fabulous, amazing woman, Dr. Jody, <laughs> trained and worked at Harvard and, you know, I can't get my tech to work. It gets very stressful, doesn't it? It does, it does. And so if we can recognize what underpins this and allow yourself to say the values that underpin this, what is your heart wanting to experience? Your heart wants to make sure that I'm comfortable, make sure that this goes well, make sure that your listeners, your viewers are getting the best experience that they can get. And when we have to sit with this uncertainty of, what do they think? Maybe they're <laughs> judging me negatively, right? Mm-hmm. That triggers anxiety because anxiety is our physiological reaction to perceived threat in our environment or worry thoughts that can take hold. So you're saying that anxiety is just something our body does, is that right? Anxiety is certainly something our body does. It's the way our brain is wired to protect us. It is our physiological reaction to threat in our environment that sets up our body to fight or to run when we need it. But what happens in this uncertain world is that this physiological reaction gets triggered in relation to a perceived threat, in relation to what would be called a worry thought. 
And that's why we get triggered in various circumstances as well. Thank you for explaining that. And I guess modern life is quite quite different, isn't it, to in the past? There are a lot there's a lot more uncertainty, I guess. There's there's a lot more uncertainty. There's the fast-paced world, there's a continual change. You know, we exist in this era of disruption where we don't necessarily know what is going on. And if you think about the primitive underpinning of all of this, we don't know what lurks around the corner. And so something dangerous might be there. But really, it is our grapple with uncertainty and our desire to seek certainty in order to be able to predict and control our environment. Yeah, and that's hard when you're going through things like pandemics, isn't it? Has there been an increase in anxiety as we've been dealing with these disruptive things that have been happening? Most definitely, because, as you say, this long-standing uncertainty and now it's kind of hitting us again and we just don't know what does the future hold. What has happened is even pre-COVID, there was an enormous statistic prevalence of anxiety within society even before then because of the world that we live in, which is out of line which with what we were designed to live in. And now since COVID and through COVID, the level of uncertainty has just really tipped it over the edge. And now what we're finding is not just anxiety, but the long-standing state of chronic fight or flight, which burns our serotonin reserves. And it's now what I'm seeing, certainly uh, with the the individuals who I'm working with, whether it's in an organisational context or at the anxiety clinic in a clinical context or even in the school's environment, is people tipping into burnout because it's this sustained uncertainty. Yeah, it certainly is a very disruptive time. I guess I don't even need to say that. That's pretty obvious. But in terms of how big the problem is, like how many people say in Australia identify or could be identified as having a form of anxiety? The way I conceptualise it is every single one of us. (laughs) (laughs) You'll always be busy, right? (laughs) What hope do we have? Yes, I will. I'm definitely a very busy woman. Uh, But I conceptualise anxiety as a human condition because it absolutely is. It's part of our neural wiring and our, um, our grapple with uncertainty. It's where we sit on this experience, whether it's mild, whether it's moderate, whether it's severe, this is the extent of anxiety that we experience. When we're talking about the statistics that get quoted, Typically, what we're talking about is what's defined as clinical anxiety, and that is anxiety to a level that is causing prolonged fear, suffering and avoidance in an individual's life. It might be called clinical anxiety or otherwise called an anxiety disorder. Now, as an individual, as a professional, as a heart-driven thought leader in this space, I tend to not use the word disorder very much. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad to hear that because, you know, when things get labelled as a disorder, it just seems, I feel like there's this guilt, like you have anxiety, you are a problem, and rather than addressing why people are anxious about a particular issue. Absolutely, absolutely. And to be honest, the reason it, it makes me unsettled and uncomfortable is because I am so very grateful at the area of expertise that I have being an anxiety expert. I get to work with incredible, heart-driven, kind, 
analytical human beings where it is the protective instinct at play and there is a common thread of individuals who just care that greater level. Now, that is a generalisation. Of course, we're not going to get every single person who is of this nature. However, I have worked with thousands of people experiencing severe anxiety over the years. And so at the coalface, evidence-based in my experience is this common thread. So I talk about anxiety as a double-edged sword. Uh, Oftentimes, it is correlated with individuals who have this analytical mind, that overthinking mind, and this level of care to make sure that everyone and everything is safe and well. And so if we can move, what I say, move from anxiety into empowered action, that is saying, okay, we don't necessarily want fear to underpin this. We want heart-driven action or values to underpin it. And that is core to the mind strength method. That is just such a lovely way to situate it. Rather than saying someone has a disorder, they're anxious, to instead say, well, someone's got a heart-centered response and they care. Is that pretty much it? Absolutely right. Absolutely. The mind strength method, and, and it's all it's covered comprehensively in the book, the mind strength method is a practical and empowering toolkit. What I've done is I've wrapped up thousands and thousands of dollars of therapy to be able to share this gift with the world because it's built on decades of my work as a professional and certainly years and years of experience as CEO and founder of the Sydney Anxiety Clinic. I've wrapped up that methodology in a book to be able to help people on scale. Fabulous. So there you go. Top frugalista tip. We haven't even got to the frugalista tips, but the top frugalista (laughs) tip is thousands of dollars worth of clinical work all wrapped up in one book by a leading expert that is going to save you a lot of money. Which brings me to a question really about the economic cost of all of this anxiety. Like, are we seeing that it's hurting people, hurting the economy, hurting the community? It it absolutely is, you know, because if we think about the the fundamentals of what anxiety is, it's our fight or flight reaction. So at an individual level, if we are caught up in the sympathetic nervous system, that amygdala hijack that takes over in our brain, we're going to be tipping into uh, behaviours that don't necessarily enable us to engage as effectively as we otherwise would be in the workplace. So there's many faces of anxiety Oftentimes, it is agitation, frustration, anger, aggression. It's the fight in the fight or flight. Mm. Or it might be the flight, which is procrastination, avoidance, you know, shutting down. Or otherwise, it's our grappling with uncertainty. So we might be uh, motivated to make sure that we're perfect or make sure that we check and recheck and recheck our work or seek reassurance when we otherwise know what but really do know what we need to do and so all of these fight or flight driven behaviors uh, get in the way of our capacity for optimizing productivity and performance so my work as a high performance coach to ceos i work with multinationals and as a global keynote speaker now the mind strength methodology is being recognized as a powerful toolkit 
to build high performance in the workplace, to be able to facilitate productivity and help the impact, the otherwise detrimental impact that it is creating on the economy. So whether it's at an individual level or at a whole organisational level, it certainly has a profound impact. And enlightened organisations are now recognising the critical importance of building strategies in the workplace to bolster mental health and well-being because of the fundamental and direct impacts to the economy. Mm. I've noticed that there's an increase in mental health policies that a lot of companies are seeing, but often it's kind of, I feel like it's framed in a negative sense, like what to do if someone has mental health issues, self-protection from legal suits kind of document rather than something that's actually really proactive and is actually going to try and get the best out of their staff. Am I being too cynical here? Well, you know, there's absolutely a cynical component to it or or, or let's not call it a cynical component, let's call it a, a practical component, right? Whether you're, you're approaching it from a risk mitigation perspective or from a facilitating a high-performing culture within the workplace, fundamentally, when we are in fight or flight, the neurochemicals that are being secreted are adrenaline and cortisol, and they're the opposite neurochemicals of oxytocin that we want for collaboration, connection, and engagement in the workplace. It's really, really logical around the business case towards doing a lot of this stuff in the workplace. I do work as a coach to C-level executives, working with a lot of people and culture professionals, HR professionals, but CEOs as well, who uh, become real champions of the mind strength method because conflict just dissolves. It's very, very powerful. Yeah, I can just imagine that because I guess I know myself the impact it's had on me when I've had conflicts in the workplace. And I know a number of women, particularly female friends, who have had to take time off or haven't been able to sort of go up the the chain at work either because of their own anxiety or often because of the anxiety of their daughters. And it's really sad to see like really smart, powerful women who are just not able to contribute as much as they would like to. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a really key message is for people to sit with absolute hopefulness because all of this is very helpable. No, I don't say treatable. I say helpable because it is part of our human condition wherever we sit. And, yes, there are some individuals who anxiety can be terrifying, anxiety can be debilitating, and there is a time and place for a hybrid model of treatment, of care, whether we want to introduce medication into the mix alongside evidence-based clinical psychological strategies. So long as it's scientifically supported, I'm an advocate of it. As I say, I don't mind if it's medication or meditation (laughs) or anything in between. So long as you throw the mind strength method into it, you're going to be having a toolkit that's going to be practical and highly effective. Well, thank you. I think highly effective is really important, isn't it? And you touched on medication versus meditation. And obviously, mindfulness is something that gets bandied around a lot. And I am a believer in mindfulness. But of course, having done courses and knowing about it and actually doing it are quite two different things. 
But how important is mindfulness to combating anxiety? How does this figure in your approach? Mindfulness is core to my approach because really what the Mind Strength Method is all about is building self-awareness. And that's core to mindfulness. Mindfulness is present moment awareness and it's our capacity to get some distance from our thoughts and our power to choose how we respond. That's the mind strength method. So mindfulness, that present moment awareness and our capacity to observe and allow our experiences to just be in the present moment typically takes us out of fight or flight. I talk about taking us out of the boxing ring with our feelings. (laughs) Self-awareness and acceptance of the physiological experience or acceptance of the thoughts, but changing our relationship with the thoughts is what is going to dissolve the anxiety. It's a bit of a paradox. It's kind of accepting the anxiety is what helps to dissolve the anxiety. And that is really core to the skills of mindfulness. Yeah, incredibly powerful and fabulous when you engage. And again, we don't want to be, we don't want to get too fancy with this. We want to just recognize it's fundamental. It's a fundamental logical toolkit. What people tell me is that they have the light bulb moments because it's when you can understand the drivers of human behavior and our capacity to realign to helpful actions through the mind strength method it helps people to recognize that this is very, very doable. Wow, that is really profound. And I did love in your book the fact that you kind of said you talked about standing up to the bully of anxiety, but also sitting with it and not making yourself wrong and going, oh, I have a disorder, I'm terrible, I'm a bad person. And that was just such a radical shift for me. Oh, I'm so thrilled to hear it. It gives me goosebumps, you know. I I have people daily telling me that it has transformed their lives and for for me to hear that directly from you about the profound impact it's had in your life this is my joy this is my purpose my purpose ultimately is to help people on scale and I would love the the mind strength method to just be a real step change in the way people globally conceptualize anxiety and conceptualize themselves to really respond with with self-love and acceptance and recognize the underpinning is that it is a deep level of care. It is the protective instinct at play. And if we can just smash stigma and shame out of the park and <laughs> not and and lock it away because we want to absolutely embrace the polar opposite of that. I think that's just so important. And closely related to this, I guess, is the stigma and shame some people feel about imposter syndrome. So that's something that now has its own syndrome word. And it comes up so often, especially in entrepreneurial circles. Nearly every female entrepreneur I have met, with a few exceptions, have talked about how they feel this quite regularly, especially a lot of women who are in senior career positions, this constant self-doubt and feeling like they're not good enough. Yes. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, sometimes it's called high-functioning anxiety, this sense of uh, fear of being not good enough or being found out to be a fraud. That uh, is what imposter syndrome is. And what is what the challenge there is, is that our behaviours, at the end of the day, it comes with the high functioning and 
high-performing individuals, but it is a fear of not being good enough or a fear of failure. And it's, so it's fear-driven. And what happens in the brain is when we have a worry story around fear of not being good enough or fear of being judged negatively, let's say performance anxiety or social anxiety, this thing called hypervigilance kicks in. Hypervigilance is our brain's seeking out things that are aligned to our worry stories or our fear stories. And so we're constantly going to be scanning for our not good enoughs and we're focusing on our not good enoughs. So we see it more, unfortunately. And and also when we're driven by a fear of not being good enough, what can happen is we think we have to be perfect in order to be okay. And Uh, what I can relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Me too. But it's a double-edged sword, right? We want to just bring it back to heart-driven actions and focus on effort and just values, values of care, values of, you know, yes, values of achievement. That's okay. But it's not fear-driven. It's values-driven. The challenge of perfectionism is it's built on an unrealistic benchmark of good enough. That unrealistic benchmark of good enough is I have to be perfect in order to be okay. Mm. And what happens is we're never good enough because there's no such thing as perfect. So we're never allowing ourselves to be good enough in our own eyes. The benchmark is constantly, the bar is constantly being raised. If we're never allowing ourselves to be good enough in our own eyes, that's when the imposter syndrome kicks in. Because we're not celebrating our wins. We're always looking forward about the should be better, should be doing more. Oh, that is just so wise. I agree. It's not fair. But yes, learning to celebrate our wins, especially as women, is so important. And in the Joyful Business Club, I always put something up on Fridays, flaunt it Friday. It's not something I've invented. There's a number of groups that do this. But it is just so empowering to be able to say, yes, actually, I, I achieved something this week I'm really proud of and I'm going to share this and I'm not going to worry about feeling boastful or vain or worry that other people will cut me down. I'm just going to feel like I'm in a safe place that I think that I did something good. Yeah, 100%. That's so very beautiful, whether it's for ourselves as individuals or whether it's for our kids and teens as well focusing on effort and allowing ourselves to be proud of that or values aligned actions and just really leaning in and responding with kindness and compassion is so very important and it's built around self-awareness this is core to the mind strength method is saying what are the drivers of your behavior are you being driven by fear or are you being driven by your values and making sure that you hold yourself accountable to being kind to yourself. (laughs) Compassion and kindness, right? As leaders as well in organizations, it's very, values are a really powerful strategic tool within an organization. We don't necessarily just want to make outcome the benchmark or the KPIs of of success. We want to make values-driven actions part of those key performance indicators because values drive culture and culture drives productivity and performance. Very, very important in a high-performing context. I'm so glad you said that because one of the reasons actually I left the job I was in or the career that I was in was that I felt that it had become so outcomes-driven 
that I was starting to see some behaviors that I didn't actually really like. And specifically, I felt that it was leading to a level of, how does one say it, like winning at any cost type thing. And so I think it's really great that you have identified that importance. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And it feeds on itself when we can align to these sorts of things. And as, as individuals, be champions. We're all leaders, no matter who we are, we're all leaders. And leaders is being accountable to actions that make a difference, actions that are aligned to our heart and to our values. And to be honest, when I'm talking about values, and I do a lot of work in helping people get clarity on values, I've got my defined values, a pack of values cards associated with, with the book, because it's so very core to the Mind Strength Method. It's about saying everybody's a little bit different, and there's zero judgment around that. It is about what is important to you. And within a business context, it's what's important within that business and making sure there's awareness of that. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And one final question. I know you have already shared a Frugalista tip about the value that your book brings, but do you have another way that you like to save money? Uh, To save money is to uh, sit with the, uh, I suppose, discomfort of uncertainty. Because then you're going to be taking yourself out of fight or flight. You're going to be more productive in your interactions. And if you can move to problem solving and action planning rather than worry, this is going to be very, very powerful in saving money, in building financial freedom at the end of the day, because you're going to be focusing on the things that matter to you. There's a case in the book around an individual who gets caught up in the finance worry story and it keeps him trapped in inertia Mm. so this is very very powerful mindset so mind strength when I'm working with individuals as a high performance coach it's all about the mindset and skills to succeed mindset is so very important for building productivity and performance and when we're talking about finances we want to be engaging on all cylinders and just doing well there that is just so profound once again and I think I've said profound several times in this podcast but (laughs) for good reason that's so beautiful thank you so Dr Jodie where can people find you and your wonderful book my book is in all good bookstores it's online it's so booktopia as an example amazon it's pretty much everywhere it's on audible as well there's an audio book kindle so it's everywhere I'm all over the place on social media as well. On Instagram, I'm underscore Dr. Jodie, D-R-J-O-D-I-E underscore. LinkedIn as well. Connect with me. It's just such a joy to connect with people directly. And please, if you find that the book changes your life, if you find it personally impactful, I'd be so very grateful if you can tell other people because together we can truly change the world. Wow. Together we can truly change the world. Make sure you remember those words. It's magic. Thank you so much for being my guest. An absolute joy. Thank you. You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. She actually likes everybody. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. i
Do you?